You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. I'm Denny Burke. I am the President of CBMW, and it is our pleasure to have on as our guest today, Dr. Heath Lambert, who is the pastor at the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, and they have been through quite the experience here over the last couple of weeks. Their church adopted a statement on biblical sexuality back in October, and somehow now in January, it has kind of blown up as a thing in their community and really in the national media. And so we've invited Heath to come on to talk to us about this statement and to tell us what the fallout has been with his church and with the community. So, um, Heath, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Well, I, I was just wondering, could you just tell us exactly what is this statement on sexuality? Yeah, so it is a short statement. It is probably 60 or 65 words. It's a little paragraph. And what it is intended to be is a very positive expression summarizing what the Bible teaches about sexuality. It basically says who what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, that that's a biological reality and not an issue of choice. It says that marriage is between one man and one womanhood, uh, between one man and one woman, and that sexuality is uh, only appropriate within that marital relationship. It now I've got a I've got a copy of it right here. I can read it. It's now as I'm looking at it, it's two sentences long. So um, it, it's not very long, but it says this: says, as a member of First Baptist Church, I believe that God creates people in His image as either male or female. And that this creation is a fixed matter of human biology, not individual choice. I believe marriage is instituted by God, not government, is between one man and one woman, and is the only con context for sexual desire and expression. And then you've got uh, some texts of scripture listed. Yeah. So it's meant to be a very positive, very brief summary of what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality. One of the amazing things about it uh, that wasn't amazing from our perspective, but is amazing when you read it in light of some of the media coverage, is that there's not a single sin mentioned in it. It doesn't single out any, partic any particular sexual sin. It's just a positive summary of what sexuality is. I say that's surprising because the, the media coverage that's blown up I mean, I'm looking at articles and looking at television reports that say we voted to oppose LGBTQ rights and we voted to take away the existence of homosexuals. Um, and the amazing thing about the statement is it is a straightforward, uncontroversial statement about what Christians have believed for a couple of millennia about what sexuality is in the Bible. What was it about this exact time in history, you know, October 2022, that led to the adoption of this statement now? Well, you know, one of the things that I say about my uh, predecessors as uh, who have been senior pastors at First Baptist Church is uh, I think a lot of them would be shocked if they found out that there was a senior pastor in 2022 uh, that was going to preside over a church taking a vote saying we need to decide who's a boy and who's a girl and and write that down and be clear about it. But honestly, for the last 10 years, I think everybody knows that we've been having 
debates about sexuality that from a historical perspective are shocking. I mean, absolutely shocking. Uh, we we have uh, we have a city council vote uh, in 2017 in Jacksonville uh, where they basically took a stand and said uh, LGBTQ is normative. Uh, the bathrooms are up for grabs. And so from our perspective as an evangelical church of Jesus Christ, we think that this is just such confusion that we don't even know who's a boy and who's a girl in our society. And so if it is our responsibility as a church to be salt and light in a world of darkness and decay, in a world where everybody's talking about what sex is and what gender is, then we think it's absolutely required for the Church of Jesus Christ to speak into that and share God's point of view. Now, I watched last week a forum you held at your church, and I was, frankly, I was astonished by this because you know, this statement got out into the local media. I could, from where I'm sitting at a distance, it looked like it was probably a pretty withering response from some of the activists in the media. Um, and so your response to that was to hold a, an open mic forum at your church. And it wasn't just an open mic for your church members. You invited the community to come yeah. in. And so that anyone could come to the microphone and ask a question or not even ask a question, make a statement. And uh, so, so I watched this last week and yeah. I, I, I'll be honest with you. When I first heard that you were doing this, I thought this is a bad idea, <laughs> uh, but it somehow it, 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 from what I saw, it seemed to serve the purposes of the church because you got to faithfully bear witness, not just you, but even some of your church members were able to stand up and to bear witness to what the Bible teaches and to what your church uh, really holds to. So can you tell us a little bit about what happened last week and what's been the fallout from all of that? Yeah, so it was, I mean, I admit it was a risky decision. When I announced this to our staff, I just said, hey, look, there's risk with this. I mean, this could this really has the potential to turn into an ugly situation even within our church. But I thought it was worth the risk. And the reason was what I said. I mean, look at all the news coverage and it's like, uh, church uh, excludes homosexuals. Church asks LGBTQ members to get out. Uh, church votes to remove rights from homosexuals, as though our church can take anybody's rights away. I mean, it was this—it was this insane coverage. And you know, I, I said as I was praying about it, I was—I was really desperate in prayer about it. I can—I can live with being misunderstood. Uh, I can live with being on the opposite side of a moral debate from the culture. I can live with all those things. What I can't live with is my, my call as a minister of the gospel. My call as a pastor in our community is to share the love and the truth of God with a community that's dying in their sins. And when the exposure of the community to our church is, uh, we hate you, we want you out, uh, we're taking away your rights— um, I just couldn't live with that. And so I said, hey, look, if you're upset, come on over, let's talk. And so it was an opportunity to let people hear from the horse's mouth, as it were, what we're really trying to do. We do want to be clear about God's moral law. We weren't singling out LGBTQ members in the statement, uh, but we do believe that the love of God is bound up in the commands of God, and that if you would hear his word and turn, um, 
you could know his the love of Christ for you and repentance and live forever. So so we had an opportunity to talk about that and it was it was amazing. We we had some people who showed up upset. We had some people who left upset. But we had a number of people who came begging with the intention of begging us to turn from what we were doing and when they saw the statement and heard what we were doing they were like, "Well, this is exactly what Christians ought to be doing. We had a number of people that uh, came up afterwards and, and are now joining our church because of the stand we took. So we were actually able to persuade uh, some people. And I think it was really, really helpful for our church to be able to say, hey, look, we we can have a strong response that's different than you, that is disagreeing with you and still love you and still welcome you into our church. So that was one of my favorite things about the event is that you're not welcome at First Baptist if you're LGBTQ. Well, as soon as the word got out about it, the very first thing I did was invite them in and we gave them donuts and coffee and were nice to them and prayed with them and all the rest. Uh, one of the one of the people who came up to a microphone, uh, there were two instances, actually two people who came up that, that stuck out to me, but one of them was um, a woman who was a lesbian and she wanted to basically invite your current members to leave the church because the church is not a real church because it's not accepting of everyone. And, um, it was promoting hate. So I, I can't remember every single thing that she said, but it was, it was a pretty stark thing to see, uh, this woman standing in the midst of your church, calling the members to, to leave. Uh, but one of the yeah. things that struck me was that it seemed like um, she reflects kind of a common point of view in the culture that love, even Christian love, is basically unconditional affirmation. Could yeah. you speak to that and let us know a little bit how you would speak to the other folks in the community who have that kind of a concern? Yeah, you know, it's um, so I'm telling you, I know there are Christians. Uh, one of the reasons I'm very happy to, to talk to you uh, is because I know for a fact there are Christians who are going uh, churches shouldn't be doing this. We, sh we shouldn't be speaking out on these sexuality things. We need to put best foot forward. We need to be grace and love. And, and that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a gracious, loving, gentle man. Um, the problem is, is that if you are silent about the words of God that are most relevant, to our culture's sin, then you're not being helpful. You're refusing to throw um, a, a life preserver uh, of the truth to the people who need it. As a matter of fact, uh, gay men and women, transgender men and women are blinded by their sin. They're blinded by the devil. And the Bible teaches us, and we'll be preaching this Sunday on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world with regard to sin. And so if we don't tell the truth, uh, then we have no shot uh, at the grace of God poking through hard, crusty, sinful hearts and bringing people to life. And so I think we have to do this. And one of the things that uh, that I've been really working on, you, you saw it in the open mic event, but I'm doing it behind the scenes too, with some relationships that I'm working on in our community. Um, 
I'm being very honest. This is my point of view. This is what I think is true. Uh, you have your point of view. You have things that you think are true as well. But I wonder if there is a way for us to talk about these. I know you're trying to persuade me. You need to know I'm trying to persuade you. But I wonder if there is a way to talk about these things where we could have a disagreement without gouging each other's eyeballs out. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that's what I'm trying to do with the community and say every good parent is able to point out problems with their children they love without agreeing with everything they do. Every good termite inspector is able to tell you bad things about your house without being a jerk. Uh, every good oncologist is able to point out that you have cancer without, without you assuming that they hate you. And so in the same way, uh, I need as a minister of the gospel to tell you the truth about your sin if I really love you and want you to find life. Heath, I want to ask this question, putting myself in the position of pastors and churches across the country that, you know, find themselves in the same moment that we are in. Um, and that is, do you think it's time for other churches to do the same thing that FBC Jacks has done over this past, you know, three or four months? And, and why would that be? And, and backing up a little bit, I, I watched the same Q&A that Denny did. And one of the questions, uh, or I guess it was one of the responses from one of FBC's members to a question, she brought up a, a legal component uh, to mm -hmm. the to the statement. Is is that part of the thinking behind? Is is there something that that we uh, as churches ought to be aware of that might be coming down the pike that uh, without statements like this, we're going to be in in some sort of trouble? Yeah. So one thing I'm getting I'm getting asked about this. I, I believe in the authority of the local church. Uh, I think pastors and congregations in their context know best about their situation. Uh, I don't assume uh, that the situation we're facing in Jacksonville is uh, the same situation that every other congregation is facing. Every, every church has to decide what is going to be required of their members on this. I can tell you the reasons we did it is because we did want to send a clear signal. We did want to say, hey, in a world that's confused, we are not confused about this at First Baptist. You're bringing up a legal component. Um, that is, that's part of it. I mean, you see in the news places like Yeshiva University. I mean, the, the, the reality is, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean spirit in this. I'm just describing a situation where the LGBTQ plus agenda is an activist agenda. It is an aggressive agenda. Uh, they're not. They're not content. Hey, if if it's if we're over here and we're happy, that's fine. They want. They want everybody to get on board. They actually, they need to do that. This is the way. This is the way it works. It is. It's what's required of suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. If if I'm going to believe the lie, I can't have anybody reminding me that it is a lie. And so I have to, because of the noetic effects of sin, I have to shut you up. I have to get you on board because I can't tolerate a reminder of what I know. Romans one teaches what I. Know no is true. So I have to shut you up. And so there's a theological reason why they are so aggressive, which we understand. And that means we just have to, with love, with grace, we have to, we have to be the people who are on the side of truth, but we also have to be the people who are not silly 
and not foolish, and knowing that because uh, our ability to preach the truth, our ability to function as churches, every day at First Baptist Church, we're making hiring decisions. We have over 100 full-time employees. Uh, We cannot have an employee uh, on our staff that disagrees with our biblical view of sexuality. We cannot have at church on Sunday uh, people using their bathroom of choice. So we enforce these decisions, and that does uh, potentially expose us to legal liability, and we need to be uh, protected on that at least as much as we can. And then another thing I'll say is just in our context, there is a pastoral care situation on this. We need to communicate to our people um what we think about this. The reality is that, you know, in in a large church like First Baptist, on any given day, I don't know who all is in there. Uh, And I got to protect our folks. I got to protect our members and ensure that we all believe the same thing. There are parents. I was talking with a pastor just yesterday. Uh, There are parents in churches who disagree on these things, where you'll have a dad telling the kid, you got to go to the right bathroom, and you'll have a mom telling a kid, just go to the bathroom that makes you feel comfortable. Well, this is a pastoral care issue in our congregations, and it's a pastoral care issue that we need to uh, address in our congregation authoritatively at the level of what it means to be a a member. Well, I think it's also a matter of of integrity. You know, we understand where the affirming churches are. They're loud and proud about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But how many churches across the country are just being quiet about this so that you can go to a church for six months, a year, five years, and have no idea. Nobody's speaking to this issue. And then it's coming up maybe after the fact, after there's been investment, after there's... So so can you speak to that? Isn't it a matter of integrity that we are upfront yeah. about what the church teaches and what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality? Yeah. So I'll, I'll say two things about that. One kind of harkens back to what I said a moment ago. Listen, I'm telling you, there isn't a pastor listening to this. There isn't a pastor in America that is more interested in putting best foot forward than I am. I want I want to be in in the news in our community for good and happy reasons. We we just opened, I'll tell you this, we just opened a police stop station, uh, which uh, police officers, they've got a hard job. They carry on all these bullets and guns and walkie-talkies. They got all this paperwork to do and they have no place where they can go do it. They, whenever, wherever they are, they're on guard. They can't even go to the bathroom any place. Um, and so we opened up a stop station, which is at our downtown campus. It's a secured access facility. It can only be opened by uh, a police officer's uh, badge. Uh, and there's food in there. There's restrooms in there. There's places to sit where they can fill out their paperwork and do all this kind of thing. It was a massive investment. We invited all the police force in our city. There's thousands of them to uh, come and have breakfast, lunch, and dinner and tour this stop station. It was a big deal. The police officers say it's the best stop station in Jacksonville. One of them said we have our stop station tricked out better than a Toyota dealership. And (laughs) the news media was about to come and do a story at First Baptist Jacksonville, loving Jacksonville, serving our community, spending all this money to love on police officers. And then that statement leaked. And then we were all in the news about hateful things, supposedly, instead of loving police officers. Well, I would have much rather been in the news loving police officers. I'm not happy when our community thinks that we are hateful and mean. So I get it when guys want to try to minimize this and let's stay quiet, maybe tell them a little bit after the fact, win them and then persuade them later. 
But I do think there's an integrity issue. I do think uh, we have an obligation to speak the truth to our community. And another thing I'll say, I said two things. Um, I was having um, a meeting with some LGBTQ plus this wasn't the open mic event. This was a, a private meeting in my office and we were talking and boy, they are not happy about the statement and they do not like me, at least they're tempted not to like me. And then you meet me and I'm like a nice guy and I don't kick the dog or say bad words. And I like have a nice conversation with you. So we're sitting there, we're talking, trying to realize we're all human beings here. And, um, and, and they don't agree, but here's where the conversation started to turn. I said, would you give us this, that we've been honest? Uh, I mean, if you go to, if you're in a therapeutic relationship, you have to have an informed consent where we know what you're going to talk to me about. I said, we have been honest. Here's where we stand. Can't you, we're not trying to sneak anything through. And they said, do you know what? We do appreciate that you were telling the truth about who you are. So that even became one spot of common ground in, in a conversation where there's a lot of disagreements. I do I know guys want to be kind and gentle and loving and they want to have a happy face, uh, but there just isn't anywhere to hide on this. I don't think integrity allows it. And the reality is the the culture that's on a search and destroy mission, you're going to have to be honest about it sooner or later anyway. Heath, I heard um, some critics say, well, you know, this guy, Heath Lambert is just a super authoritarian. He's imposing these rules upon his congregation and um, you know, this is a top-down kind of a place. Could you could you explain to listeners how this actually came about? Yeah, yeah. So this has been in the works for. It's true. Like, in fact, somebody showed me a screenshot of uh, some of a professing Christian who had uh, a thing on their social media that it was hashtag Don't sign it. It's not about beliefs. It's about control. And I'm this heavy-handed, authoritarian, and sexually repressed, closeted person, and we're going to do it my way. Well, and that, and those people just don't understand what's going on or the kind of the kind of church that First Baptist is. So we have talked about this for years now. We have a significant group of lay leaders, many of them attorneys, all of them faithful, uh, long-term members of First Baptist, who for years have been saying, we need a statement like this. We're exposed. Uh, we need to be more clear. Um, we talk about it in the sermons, but it's not like, I mean, this doesn't come up every day at First Baptist Church. It comes up when it comes up with the text or there's something that specifically demands it. So they said, we just need something that that is more clear on this. Well, I've been holding those guys off for a couple of years because our church has been going through a lot of transition, a lot of turmoil. I was like, we just, we just don't need a new thing right now, but we'll get to it. Well, uh, then this year, I just realized I've got lay leaders who really believe this is important. I agree with them and want to do it. And they all agreed that now was the time. And so I said, okay, well, let's start working on it. So we spent uh, months, months working on this. I mean, you, you said it's two sentences. It, you could never tell uh, by the amount of time we spent working on it. Months so that all of our pastors, we got 22 pastors, all the pastors were unanimous on the language. Uh, all of our lay uh, leadership board was unanimous. We spent a weekend with 100 deacons. Uh, hammering out this language. And they were the ones who unanimously recommended the statement and recommended that the church uh, require this of every member. And then the church considered it for two weeks and the church unanimously approved the statement. There was no and, real controversy among in the church over this. 
not a whiff, not a, the, the only, the only controversy was from lay leaders who thought oh, we should have done it years earlier mm. than we did. Wow. So, it so was, it's it, not coming down from you. Ultimately it comes from the congregation because they approved it unanimously. Is that that's correct? I agree with it and I'm happy to lead a church that approves it, but it's not like, Hey guys, it's my way or the highway. And we're going to do this. This really swelled up from our lay leadership. And within your church, you wouldn't even have the power to do that. You can't no, I mean, take I can, the terms of membership by yourself. No, I, at first bat, we're a congregational church in that respect. And so the church is the only group that gets to decide what is required for membership. Well, it certainly sounded like they were unanimous, at least in the way that they were coming to the microphones. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, at, at the forum, they were, they seemed very um, protective of you, <laughs> of the church and of, of the whole effort. It was, it was really it was kind of beautiful because there seemed to see to be, you know, a unanimity amongst the congregants about all of this. It wasn't just Heath Lambert hanging out there doing this thing. This was a, this was a congregational action. That's right. And I'll tell you, it really points to some sweetness. I, I would just encourage pastors that are listening to this. There's sweetness in our congregation over this because unity really is built around truth. I mean, when when I've said this was intended to be unitive, it was intended to be a, a thing that unites our congregation. And it really has. Churches really are getting split up over this issue. And we we don't want to fight about it at First Baptist. We don't want to split up about it. And so we were just saying right now, here's what we think. And if you're going to be a member, this is what it means. And everybody's really in a very good mood. One of the things I hear is uh, from, from hateful people out there is, well, this is the death of your church. Uh, it's all over. Uh, you're draconian. You're a backwater. It's all over. Uh, and our church uh, is sweeter and has never been stronger. We just just yesterday uh, uh, on Sunday we broke uh, our uh, uh, our record for the attendance in our new members class. We've got people who want to join. We've got people who are excited about joining. It's really you look at all the turmoil in the media and you think we were just in desperate shape at First Baptist, but then you come to church on Sunday and Wednesday and it's a sweet, wonderful place to be. You know, it's interesting. I was watching. There was I told you there were two people at that forum that caught my. I, one of them was the the woman who rose to speak and invited the people to your church members to leave. But the other was a pastor who visited, who came to the microphone and said, you know, I wasn't going to come here to talk. He said, but I heard about what this crazy church was doing. And I just had to come see it for myself. I couldn't believe I thought it was crazy. He was just totally against because of the way the media was portraying things. He thought that you guys were like the reincarnation of Westboro Baptist church or something. It was yeah. just, and so anyway, he comes to the microphone and he says, once you read the statement, he said, well, that's just what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Have you seen a, a more responses like this, you know, from, from the community where once they kind of got through the filter of mm-hmm. the media and to listen to what it actually was, have you seen more responses like this? Yes. So, uh, and that was uh, Bishop Hackworth. He was a great guy. We've the only interaction we've ever had is what you saw on the um, uh, on the open mic event. He, he but was I feel great. Like he's he's great. I feel like he's my new best friend. And uh, uh, I think our offices now have connected. He and I are going to have lunch here in the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward oh, to great. that. Um, but yeah, so we've heard from, you know, there was this immediate sort of when it comes out in the news, church votes to oppose the LGBTQ community. And everybody's like, what in the world have they lost their minds down there at First Baptist? But as the truth came out, honestly, the tide really started to turn 
on that open mic event because that was the because you, you get interviewed by these people and they interview you for ever how long and they put just a tiny little slice of what you say on the air and so so many people have watched that open mic event that that's when people really got to see oh well this isn't something that's terribly controversial and and that's when we really in terms of the community started feeling some wind at our back i'm not saying everybody in the community just loves us but a lot of support from local pastors uh, actually support from people all over the world I, I wish i could show you the piles and piles of support my email our general church email our pastor's email our facebook phone messages i mean we have received hundreds of expressions of support from everybody from Jacksonville to Sydney, Australia, and everywhere in between. That's really amazing. I, I, I can just say somebody was watching it. It was really encouraging because we're living in an age where a lot of churches and, and sadly pastors, church leaders are kind of running for the hills mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to, to tough issues. And right now, I think at the forefront of the church's interface with the culture are these gender and sexuality issues? They're they're just the toughest right now, probably because it's it's a part of everybody's life. Yeah. Um, it's not how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. They're talking about their kids. They're talking about their nieces and nephews, their parents, and how they're gonna how their church is instructing them to relate to relate to them. So it it, it seems to me that there, there's really not any going to be any place for any pastor or church to hide on these things, eventually you're going to get smoked out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you've got more than a handful of people in, in your congregation, you've got people who are trying to figure out which weddings they're going to go to, what they're going to call their daughter, uh, who's allowed to come over for Thanksgiving and what that behavior is allowed to look like. I mean, these are that's, that's what I'm saying. It's a pastoral care issue where you have got to sit down with um, in fact, in terms of our congregation, I would say the most common uh, question we're dealing with on this issue is not, is the statement right or is it wrong? But now that this blew up in the media and my sister-in-law, who really disagrees with me on this, she now knows I go to this church. How do I talk to her about this? Mm -hmm. And so it's those engagement sorts of issues. Well, here's the thing. Every pastor in the country has people in their congregation that they have to help think through about those things. So it's not even like, where do you stand on what's right and what's wrong? It's how are you going to help people in your office who are crying because their son now wants to be called their daughter and they know that he's not their daughter. And how are you going to talk to him about this? Well, and so many, when confronted on those questions, they yeah, they do run for the hills. They kind of clam up or they're, they're not sure. They don't want to misspeak. They're seeing, you know, the lampooning on the media. That's why I'm so encouraged to see what you did at FBC Jacks. You, you really took control of the narrative with that, that Q and a, uh, you led, you didn't just respond. You didn't react. You let out and the messaging became the message of the Bible. And I think what we're seeing, you know, especially in the response, you've got your new member classes is, is filling up, you know, they don't write that in the church growth books, uh, you know, release a no, statement don't. on biblical sexuality and your church is going to explode. Well, and I'll, listen, I'll tell you, that's true. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, um, you know, Denny, you and I, we wrote this uh, book called Transforming Homosexuality that uh, just took the evangelical world by storm. You that's know? right. I mean, it sold tens and tens of copies. I mean, it, <laughs> That's right. It was, it was unbelievable. But uh, 
But, you know, there there was a certain community uh, where I know that that book did have an impact. And, and a lot of it was with local church pastors. And I was um, I was speaking at a conference in New York City just shortly after that book had come out. And uh, somebody put together a meeting. We were in this little tiny apartment uh, of and it was conservative or so-called conservative pastors in Manhattan. And they wanted to meet with me and talk about this book and doing ministry, because my goodness, you know, you talk about being on the front lines. If you're in Manhattan and you're trying to have a conservative church, you're you're dealing with this left and right. And there was a lot of pastors in there. Tim Keller wasn't there, but a lot of other guys were. And I'm telling you, we we wound up, we we started at dinner time. It was five thirty or six, and I didn't leave that little tiny apartment until midnight or one. And it was just question after question after question from these young conservative pastors. And they were scared to death. It was the long and the short of it. They knew what the truth was. They knew what the Bible said, but everything, they were just scared to say it. Uh, they were scared to be consistent. And this is where you just have to say, listen, our job is not to figure out what the truth is. We, we already know what the truth is. The Bible is as clear on this issue as it is on anything else. And our job is to figure out, yeah, we need to figure out how to say the truth in love. We need to figure out how to put the truth to people in ministry context. But I think, I think too many people are cracking their knuckles on this and wringing their hands. I think we need to have a lot of faith and confidence in the Lord. Uh, the word of God never returns void. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. All of this LGBTQ um, messaging, uh, this, is, this is not going to exist in the new heavens and the new earth, but the word of God will. And so I, I just think this is a day of conviction, compassionate conviction conviction. To be sure, I don't want anybody to be as mean as a snake. But if you stand on the side of truth, if you just say, hey, look, here we're, here's where we are, uh, uh, an open statement of the truth the Apostle Paul talks about, the Lord is going to honor that. That's what the Spirit uses to work. That's the power of the Spirit. And I think we can have confidence in that. Yeah. You know, a lot of times um, conservative evangelical Christians are criticized as those who have the gospel for some people and culture war for others. I think what your your church has done in the last couple of weeks is put that to the lie. I mean, you've shown that, no, we really love sinners, gay, straight, or otherwise, and yeah. we want to bring the gospel to them, and we can speak the truth in love. We don't have to be, you know, uh, angry or mean or prideful. We just need to speak as dying men to dying men. Uh, mm -hmm. trying to bring the truth of the gospel and to see people saved through Christ. So, you know, I, I just am so grateful for you, for, for the ministry of First Baptist Jacksonville and for how you have borne winsome witness over these last couple of weeks. So thank you for, for all that you've done and thank you for coming on the program with us. Well, I'm grateful for the ministry of CBMW. You know, I first encountered, we, you can cut this out of the interview if you want, but I first encountered CBMW when I was a sophomore in college. And I was, uh, my New Testament professor was the one conservative on the Bible faculty at Gordon College. <clears throat> and he had us reading, uh, he, he assigned um, uh, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And I was fascinated by this book, loved it immediately, was so thankful for it because this was the egalitarian, complementarian thing was just overtaking Gordon College when I was there. And everybody was, was an egalitarian except this professor of mine and a few students. 
And if you had told, and I, I, I started uh, subscribing to the newsletter or whatever it was, and I got the newsletter for years. Uh, and if you had told me uh, just the way uh, CBMW and JBMW would just wind up being a part of my life and part of my ministry and that uh, uh, Denny, we would be uh, friends and would serve together and write together. Uh, it's just amazing uh, how, uh, how relevant the ministry of this organization has been to me all throughout my coming up and all throughout my ministry. I'm really grateful for what you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much for saying that. We're so grateful for you. Thank you, brother, for coming on. We appreciate you and praying for your ministry. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.